Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Seb, how do you manage to keep yourself so perky and upbeat in the mornings? I thought you were going to ask me that question. Well, I'll tell you, I drink between three and 14 cups of coffee every day. I'd like to tell you about one of my favourite coffee companies and that is Chimney Fire Coffee. Have you ever heard of them? I have heard of them. You know for why? They're sponsoring this podcast. Chimney Fire Coffee create responsibly crafted speciality coffee from their roasteries nestled in the Surrey Hills. They work hard to create a fully sustainable coffee journey by focusing on transparent sourcing, working directly with farmers and sharing their stories and by using fully compostable packaging. They donate 25p from every regular bag and £1 from every kilo bag of all Discovery Coffee sales to Recycle, a small charity who refurbish bikes from the UK and ship them to rural communities in Africa. For every 28 kilos of coffee roasted, a single bike plus spare parts will be sent to these communities to help improve social mobility, children's education and overall health. Chimney Fire Coffee is proud to partner with Three in a Bar podcast to offer listeners 20% off their first coffee order. Simply head to www.chimneyfirecoffee.com and use the code TIAB20 at checkout to redeem your discount. This is Three in a Bar, a podcast where we are joined by a different musician every episode. I'm Seb Philpott. And I'm Verity Simmons. I play the trumpet. And I play the cello. Our guests could be from any part of the music world. We've spoken to pop stars, composers, orchestral musicians, singers, musical theatre performers and lots more. We chat about their careers, ambitions and get a glimpse into what makes each musician unique. Shall we sing the song? Oh, don't make me sing the song. Three, three in a bar. Hey, I tell you what, auto-tune is a wonderful thing. Three, three in a bar. Come on, Seb. First round's on me. Oh. Hello. Hello. This is nice. We were sat in your um, in your hallway. Well, what upstairs. would you call this? Yeah, I was going to say, what so. area would this be of the, the house? landing? It is a landing space. No, it's not the landing space. It's a landing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we are in. It's like being in a tiny box though, because I've closed doors, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's quite small, isn't it? There's many doors around. There's, a, there's. I'm, I'm sort of sat actually inside your bedroom. <laughs> half in, half out, you're, aren't you? You're by the stairs. Yeah, yeah. There's a hatch above me. Yeah. Full of possibilities. Mm. Any, anyone could come out at any moment. It's like we're in a, some sort of farce. <laughs> like we're in 40 Towers. But your house is nicer than that place. So. I'd also like to say that that chair that you're sat on is really precarious, so it could go at any minute in which case <laughs> <laughs> it will become it's like fine. 40 There's a strong, Towers. strong steel beam that's just been put in underneath here. Yeah, so yeah, you're I'm, fine. I feel like we're fine. You just <laughs> had some renovations done, haven't you? That's right, which is why we're perched up here. Yeah. It's, it's like living in a salubrious... Beirut. 
Well, yeah, maybe Beirut. I was going to say Crackdown. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Beirut's probably quite nice now. Well, yeah, I gather people Uh, like it it when they go. I think it goes through phases. Anyway. um, Um, Why are we gathered here today? Why are we gathered here today? (laughs) Because we've got an interview with Giacomo Smith. Oh, yes. Uh, We recorded this a couple of weeks ago, I think, something like that, down in Worthing, where I was on tour with him doing the Rob Brydon show. Hmm. It's not called that. It's called A Night of Songs and Laughter. Songs and Laughter. And Verity came to watch it. I did. It was brilliant. And there were songs and there was laughter. Brilliant. It was fantastic. It was really fun. And it was nice to come on a day trip to the seaside. Yeah, that's right. We we went into Rob Brydon's dressing room (laughs) and uh, used, used that room. (laughs) Did, <laughs> the way didn't. you said it, it sounded like we marched in. <laughs> Got him right, out. <laughs> get out. We didn't actually ask him, uh, but the, it did It did lend a sort of uh, fear uh, throughout the whole interview that yeah. at any moment he might walk in. Yeah, you might so detect that element of anxiety. listening to the end and see if he does. <laughs> So tell um, us about Giacomo. I feel like okay. you've got a nice little biography I found a biography there. of him on the internet. This is from the London Jazz Festival website from a gig on the 12th of November last year. Oh. And um, here we go. Since he moved to London a decade ago from Montreal, Canada, New Yorker Giacomo Smith has earned a reputation as one of the most distinct and versatile performers in London's vital jazz scene. Um, Notable appearances include performing Artie Shaw's clarinet concerto with Guy Barker as a soloist at the Royal Albert Hall, with Winter Marsalis at the Barbican Centre and in New York at Jazz at Lincoln Centre and multiple performances at the Cadogan Hall with Claire Teal. He is currently working... Well, this is old, isn't it? He, mm. he currently he worked. <laughs> it doesn't work either. <laughs> he was working with Jamie Cullum as an arranger on his upcoming... Came out last come Christmas. Out. Come out. Christmas album, The Piano Man at Christmas Part 2. Oh, yeah. So, oh, so we talked to him about we that. We did talk about yeah. that. So he, he worked with him. Um he did, did we mention Kansas Smitty yet? No, no, we haven't. Okay, so Kansas, that's not on this biography at all. Brilliant. <laughs> but that's sort of okay. The main thing. <laughs> that's the main thing. Yeah. So Giacomo Smith runs alongside his uh, business partner Jack Kansas Smitty's, and it's a band and it's a venue. It's not yeah. currently a venue at the moment because they had to close, but they were a venue for five years on Broadway Market. As a band, it's a kind of shifting in terms of personality, personalities. <laughs> Sometimes they're nice. It's just like Sometimes they're nasty. <laughs> yeah. uh, per, what, what word am I trying to say? Personnel. Personnel, yeah. yeah. Size of ensemble. It can be a big band, it can be a small group, but um, they are very good. They, They've they, got a new album out, haven't they? Yeah, it came out end of last year. Plunderphonia. (laughs) They've had a few albums out. They've sort of focused on the older style of music, the old, early 1900s, um, which which does mark them out as being different in the modern jazz world. Yeah. Uh, We talk about all that, how it all came to be. Uh, Their new album, though, is a slight departure, as Giacomo talks about. Um, it's excellent. Go and check it out. Jack Wayne, so say, he plays clarinet. Yeah. He plays saxophones. Yeah. He does play piano as well, actually. He's very good. Oh. Often we'll get to a venue. Yeah. He'll just sit at the piano before sound check and just play the most beautiful stuff. Oh. Um, um, he, he dresses also, really well. Well, he does. He's, <laughs> he's sharp. Um, he knows how to run a bar now, doesn't he? He knows yeah. how to make a mint julep. Yes, he does. Yeah. The guy, he's a, he's a good guy to know. He, he can source the best coffee shop oh. the best place for lunch dinner 
anything you need, he'll find it. The best clothes. Just ask Giacomo. He's an ideal tour companion. He's, he's perfect. Oh. He's, and, you know, he's, he's just a great musician to sit next to. It's been a real joy sitting. I mean, we were doing this before lockdown and we've been doing it the last few months again. So I've spent a lot of time with him. And that was a slight concern going into this podcast that um, we <laughs> possibly have run out of things to talk about. But it was okay, wasn't it? I think, we, no, it we was. did talk about stuff. It was lots, yeah. We could have chatted to him for a very, very long time. Yeah. And there's actually things after this. I was like, oh, I didn't ask about that. There's all sorts of stuff. Listening back to this episode while editing it, I did notice how particularly relaxed and slightly rambly I found it. <laughs> so just get past that. I think it's fine, though. Oh, I mean, I I mean so. if you listen to our podcast, it's always a bit like that, isn't it? Yes, it is. I like it that you're marking that out as making it different in some way yeah. from the rest of them. Yeah, <laughs> Um, what do you think? It's the first time you met him. I thought he was an absolute delight and fascinating yeah. and really inspiring. I came away from it thinking, wow, he just goes goes out there and if he wants to do something, he just does it. Yeah. And I thought, that's what I need to be more like. I need to just go out and do things. Yeah. And then I got home and put on <laughs> and the TV. <laughs> no, he's yeah. brilliant. Over lockdown, they were one of the most industrious bands around putting on live streamed gigs in fact as soon as lockdown happened Giacomo immediately began making podcasts yeah every day how how live podcasts how can you do that every just we find it hard to do one every two weeks and get out on time how do you do it I think he didn't do any editing it was just live on YouTube ah so that's the way he did it but yeah see what I mean impressive guy impressive guy and so he chatted to different guests every day (laughs) <laughs> so we talked Amazing. about that and how you actually do that because that's very impressive mm. um they also managed to get a new venue which i think was an office space that wasn't being used in spitalfields oh yeah and they did live gigs not you know not every day i don't think but at least quite a few a week and so many just brilliant they had a patreon they still have a patreon i think and you can um they, they they were surviving that way and yeah. and wow and keeping lots and lots of musicians employed and busy during yeah. lockdown which was in itself a brilliant thing yeah and doing it in such a stylish way yeah. it looked brilliant yeah. and really creative so there you go mm. blooming great <laughs> yeah so we get into it and see what what he has to say let's do that this is Giacomo Smith <laughs> Have you eaten your sandwich yet? I ate half. Okay. But it's a tuna sandwich. This is a small mm. room. Oh. So it might save you guys. I've still got, um, co- you know, affected COVID by smell? COVID smell. Yeah. Right. Or lack of. So, you know. And I know him well enough. Yeah, then yeah. you've had a lot of time together recently. It's <laughs> we fine. Have. We've had so much time together that I've genuinely been worrying about this interview because <laughs> I, I don't want to talk to you too much. Yeah. We've spent yeah. a lot of time together, one yeah. on one. I, saw, I said, sat down on the train and I said, hey, Seb, how's it going? He said, don't talk to me. <laughs> Save it. No. I want nothing. I was like, whoa. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Um, well, um, but, but we, should talk, we should talk to you. Yeah. Um, Do you talk you. in shorthand, though? I'm worried. Sorry. <laughs> I'm worried you're going to have like a shorthand that I won't understand. Yeah, it's like, uh, like played out from the bridge, brother, uh, swing it. That yeah. kind of thing. That kind of thing. I'm just going to have to try Stick and Stick it up, up the fall. Yeah, I don't talk like that. I don't think anybody actually does, except <laughs> in movies. Maybe like Whiplash. Movies about jazz. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Did yeah. what? Well, did Whiplash not absolutely get get jazz correct? 
Oh no, Whiplash is the Bible of what happens in jazz, but it's is like, it? yes, yeah, really. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like Whiplash? I, I made it about, I made it like 25 <laughs> minutes in. Oh, yeah. I had to turn it off. Oh. Yeah. I was just like, this is, I can't handle this. I think, yeah. Jack I had a band director like, like that. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, really? Who's like really so angry. Too close to used home. to throw stuff at us and stuff. Actually. Yeah. And I was just like, no. They got it all wrong. Yeah. <sighs> Sounds yeah. like they got it right. <laughs> um, no, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't make it very far. But that's okay. No. What about La La Lands? Did you watch that? Yeah, I watched the whole thing. Did you like that? Um, not really. No. no. I found the guy really annoying because I had to, I felt like I had to identify with him. Mm. And I was like, oh, he's doing it all wrong. I would never do it like that. Yeah. Go to Paris. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't. Loser. Oh yes. Opening a um, what? Opening a jazz club in yeah. in LA. Do it in Paris. Well, he should have just gone to Paris. I feel like where he ended up opening it, his rates were going to be high. There, exactly. Weren't they? Yeah. yeah. And l- let's be honest. I mean, Paris. Come on. Yeah. It's really Quite. cool. But um, did you go to Paris? I went to Paris. You did. I mean, I've been to Paris. Oh, you've been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you? Did you okay. study there? Funny, funny story about. La La Land is that yeah. when they do the Paris sequence, yeah. there's like one second that's an illustration of him like like in a dream world playing in Cabo de la Huchette, which is this little basement um, jazz bar in the middle of Paris. It's super old and beautiful and whatever. Anyway, it only happens for a second, but now they have like, when you play there, they have like a poster of La La Land on the wall. Uh, oh, right? Loads of tourists come there <laughs> yeah. just yeah. because it was in La La Land for a second. Yeah. yeah. like, we have to go. That's it. Oh, Doesn't even canny. feature in the movie. No. <laughs> That's ridiculous, isn't it? It's so ridiculous. <laughs> did, you, did you study in Paris ever? No. 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 So why didn't you go to Paris? Why didn't you? Nobody asked. Nobody asked. Yeah. You've got to do it for yourself, though, haven't you? Yeah, but somebody asked him to go to Paris and he turned it down. Oh, that's in the film. That's in the movie. Who asked him to go? I Emma remember. Stone, whatever yeah. her name is. Mia. Yeah. Mm. So the lesson learned is if Emma Stone asks you to go to Paris, you should go. Oh, I would, yeah, I would definitely go to you know? Paris with her, yeah. <laughs> Could be fun. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to Paris soon, though. Yes. My stalking wow. has told me such with the band, right? Yeah. Playing the new album stuff? Yeah. Or just- that's very exciting. Yeah. When do you go? Um, in about two weeks. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Is it part of a wider tour? Or? Not really. It's something that we've always wanted to do to play, um, well, just to get out of England, really, with, with that music. And I feel like um, I was speaking to Kit Downs about this, and it was kind of a light bulb moment for me. Um, he said that English bands, we all kind of tend to think that we're doing it so well and that the world should kind of let us come to their countries, you know, come to their jazz clubs and play our thing and whatever. And there's not really a whole lot of cultural exchange. Right. It's like, you should want to book us because we're really good. And it's like, yeah, we are, yeah, we, there's, there are a lot of great bands in the UK, but it's a, a really cool thing to be able to go to European cities or any city and collaborate with the musicians that are there. And he's actually spent a lot of time doing that. And he said that that's why he has such kind of a, he's on ECM now and he plays in Germany all the time. And he kind of cites that as the reason. And I've actually been to Paris a lot to play with other musicians that live in Paris. So I play with a lot of like Django Reinhardt style, um, like guitarists and violinists and stuff like that. And I have a lot of friends that do that. So actually I feel like this is a really cool opportunity to do the, bring my group over there and, and yeah. do something. 
That's great. Yeah. You, you were saying, you were trying to think of other things you could do while over there. And, uh, yeah. Just to, to sort of collaborate with some people maybe. Or yeah, I've kind of decided of it. I'm just going to eat. Yeah. I've kind <laughs> of like thrown out the, um, yeah, making the trip profitable. Yeah. I think I'm just going to eat. So where'd you go around this eat? What's your... <laughs> um, where'd I go to eat in Paris? I have a friend who's lived in Paris for, for a long time. And I, he's from New Jersey, but we met when he was living in France. And I kind of just ask him where to go. He shows me all the hot spots, the bakeries and stuff. Mm. Like by the, the Canal Saint-Martin, there's all those cool like little yes. coffee shops and bakeries. And I don't know. I've been to a lot of places with friends. I feel like it's a really... My favorite food memory in Paris, though, was finishing a gig and going to an all-night cafe and just getting like a hot meal at kind of one o'clock in the morning. I thought, man, why can't we do this in London? That's so great. Like everybody's up at Well, I mean, there's that place called Tinseltown. Anyone been there? Oh, is that on Shaftesbury Avenue? No, it's on the side of Smithfield Markets. Um, oh. And it is, that's 24 hours. Right. God, I hope it's still there. I've, I've never been there. Oh. No. I doubt but, yeah, but very much is of the same ilk, I'll be honest. Okay, right. <laughs> it's surprising that I can talk about it and I'm still alive having been there. Because you, know, you have to really dig deep and it's not good. Right. But yeah, quite agree with you. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, yeah. on this show that we're doing now, it's like when the show comes down at 10 o'clock, it's like you're hard pressed to find anywhere that you can get any, yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah. Everywhere shuts at 11. Like, yeah. Oh, I mean, we, we even last night, we tried to get into Weatherspoons. You weren't there, you'd gone to bed. Um, they wouldn't let us in, even it closed at 12. We, it was like 20 to 12. It was like, oh, come on, just let us in. I'm surprised by that. Yeah. You yeah. would have thought they'd want your custom. I know, I've been trying to boycott with the spoons. Yeah, but... I know. <laughs> Tim, whatever his name is. Yeah. Wrong in. Um, anyway. I'll anyway. tell you what I am going to do in Paris, which yeah. I'm really excited about, not just eat. Mm. I am going to go and get my, my clarinets looked at by this incredible repairer called Beatrice, Beatrice, oh, um, yeah. who runs a shop called... Uh, Le Coin des Bois and it's like it's so cool like I, I spent you know when I moved to London I went to Howarth's and you get a lot yeah. of musicians that listen to the show right so like yeah I okay. guess so. so people kind of get so. the whole thing of like when something breaks on your instrument it's a real drag like you're totally. always just yeah. really depressed about it it's yeah. like well you've just had the thing yeah, with the valves and yeah I, I hope um, it's fixed my repair actually um, delivered it to my house without anyone at home I just told him where where I keep my keys under my doormat. Um, <laughs> Let him What's it. your address, by the way? <laughs> Had a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I've got a special place, um, and uh, he let let them let them in, put them in. I, I assume hasn't told me, but right. um, they're they're waiting for me when I get home. But I'm hoping the vows have been fixed. I've had a real nightmare recently. Oh Just sticky no. vows. You can't trust your instrument. That's awful, isn't it? Yeah. What it are you doing for this show? Have you got? I'm using a different one. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say, that yeah. would have been tricky. Just, I'm, singing I'm just singing my part. My part. Yeah. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah. Oh, good. Wow, great time. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that's great. So you're going to go and get, well, so, so is there that, something specifically wrong with the clarinets? Or you um, just... My bass clarinet has some squawky stuff. But, right. but the cool thing about the experience, like I've been to see her once before, is that it's very much like a... It's like a consultation, like a salon, you know, like a, like a, you know, in that kind of old world way where like she's in the shop and you sit in a big armchair and she's working on your clarinet while you're there. Yeah. And you might stay for two hours or three hours just waiting. But it's not like, yeah, drop it off and pick it up in three weeks. It's like 
no, we're just going to do this and we'll like address the problems. And if, if she needs to do an overhaul, then obviously she'll keep it. Yeah. But it's just so nice. And I remember yeah. going there for the first time. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like I can just chill with you. I can have a coffee. She tells me stories about like, you know, clarinet players in Paris because everybody goes there. And it's oh, that's really great. great. Yeah. yeah. That's a nice experience. That. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, yeah. Rock and roll. And at the venues you're playing in Paris, are they ones that you've played at before with other acts? Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, the, where? Where are you doing? The Duc de Lombard, which is kind of like the, um, yeah, it's kind of like the, the, you know, Ronnie Scott's of Paris. Great. You know, the kind of where a lot of the American acts come. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice place. The guy who runs it is really interesting. He um, also runs one of the biggest jazz radio stations. So it's kind of a, kind of an incredible, you know, publicity engine in the Fantastic. sense that you have like, I don't know, I've always been kind of thought that that would be the, the perfect storm of stuff. It's like you have, you have a radio station to talk about your gigs that loads of people listen to and then you have a venue to point them to. Yes. It's like, wow, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> He's really nice. He runs some of the, the jazz festivals there. So we're actually going to go back in the summer and do the um, Django Reinhardt Festival, oh, which is in... Um, Samois or Sen. Yeah. So oh. that's really cool. So in, in in June, I think we're going back to do that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. You had such an intense December. You had so much going yeah, on. Yeah, it was wild. But you, did, you did too. I mean. I guess so. We, we were doing this tour till the end of November. And then, I, yeah, I had some Brastards stuff and some other things. But you, because you had the, your, your album, but you also had the other album with, um, with, um, with Jamie Cullen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we put out an album in October called Plunderphonia. Yeah. Which... Um, yeah, congratulations. Was... Hey, awesome. thanks a lot. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, that was um, that was a big departure for us from kind of um, pure acoustic jazz music. You know, it was a very... Um, it was a really fun project to do. Yeah. And um, yeah, if anybody's listening now that hasn't heard it, go check it out. <laughs> yeah, pause this right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Walk away. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was um that was a cool experience because I realized that I love being given a brief. I love being given a task. Yeah. And it was from the the record label um who's like called K7 does a lot of dance music out of um Berlin. Um we're on one of their like sub labels it's called Ever, but it was the label head's idea to do this kind of reimagined um themes of yesterday thing you know and he he'd done some with dance like music producers with classical artists yeah um and basically the idea from from a label standpoint is to pick stuff that's out of copyright right so that was kind of why they came to us because they were like oh well you you're into early jazz and there's a lot of jazz now that's out of copyright because it's only 70 years so anything before you know 42 that's you know, or no, if the composer died yeah. more than 70 years ago. So it was just convenient that one of my favorite jazz composers is Jelly Roll Morton, who died in the early 40s and has all of these amazing pieces of music that also most people don't know about. So for me, it was a little bit of a, like a, a mission statement. It was like, how can we reinvent this music so that not only is the label happy, but also I get to show that music updated to, to people that listen to our albums and so it was really a you know that kind of challenge and it it fell into place a lot more easily than like 
oh, I have to make an album now. You know, it's like, I think a lot of musicians, I think a lot of artists are like, find the task of like, okay, you've done something, now you have to make another one. Really daunting because you don't really know where to start. Whereas if somebody says to you, can you do this for me? It's like a lot easier. Yeah, it's a pressure off, isn't it? Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I love one of the quotes that I read uh, about the album was that the music being renovated. I thought that was such an excellent way of thinking about, you know, modernised and renovated. That's a, a great way of looking at it. Oh, um, thanks. Uh, so when you started it, did you have in mind already a set of songs you wanted to use or no? No. That's no. a wide playing field. <laughs> You're so right. You're so right. Yeah, there were there were parameters, but, you know, they weren't you know, set in stone. And it was kind of like, okay, how are we gonna, you know, what's, where, yeah, where, I know, I know where, you know, I knew, I knew where to start, but I didn't know which pieces of music were gonna lend themselves to that kind of thing. Because what I really didn't wanna do is to do like electro swing. Right. Cause that's the obvious yeah. choice, right? Is like sample something from a Louis Armstrong record and then like repeated over and over again. And I was just like, well, that's, that's not, that doesn't, that doesn't capture the essence of the piece of music. Like it's a cool yeah. sample and you can make mm-hmm. a dance track out of it, but it's like, that's not what, it, that's not what it is. I always think it sounds like a boot sad, but. Yeah, it's great for, I mean, look, I mean, people really get into that music, but it's not jazz. No. It's like, it's basically just sampled. Yeah. You yeah. just sampled an old record. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wanted to make a jazz record, you know? That, so, um, yeah, so the first one I did actually wasn't Jelly Roll Morton. It was Bix Beiderbecke, and it was In a Mist. And it's just like, you know, it was, for me, it was once again this kind of like opening that sound up to a modern audience because Bix Beiderbecke is this kind of, you know, he was died really young, tragically, alcoholism, depression, all the kinds of things that you associate with you know, rock stars of the sixties, mm. like Jim Morrison, you know, but it's yeah. like this guy died in 1932 yeah. and he was a, kind of a genius musician played piano. And this in a mist is him playing solo piano, even though he was a trumpet player. So anyway, that was, that was, that was the thing that got me started. I was like, okay, if I can get one track down, like an arrangement, yeah. then I can go from there and build out. Cause you know that it has to be an album, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So with each track, can you directly relate it to the, an original version that you've done a new version of, or is it sort of a, an amalgamation of things? Well, it's funny because some people, like that's, that's the thing about doing, when, when, my, when I started doing it, I was like, this is kind of what I do when I write music anyway. Like I steal an idea from somewhere, but I just don't tell anyone. <laughs> and now I'm having to tell everyone. Yeah. But I realized yeah. when I was talking to people about it, they were like, this has nothing to do with the original. Like I did one with High Society and I took the, I took the groove of the bass and drums from under the B section and didn't use the melody. And I was like, nobody's going to get this. No. Even if I tell them where it is. Um, so, and then some of them are really literal lifts of, you know, like New Orleans Bump. Mm. It's the Jelly Roll Morton tune, basically, you know, kind of verbatim. So it varies. Yeah. Um, the the sound of the album sounds like a bit of a departure from previous records. Definitely, it sounds very much more modern and um, yeah. So was that that was a conscious decision? To conscious do that, decision, right? yeah. Because yeah. I because I knew we could play it like the original, of course, yeah. But actually, that ship has sailed. Like, why are you going to do it better than the yeah. person that composed it? You know, a hundred years ago. 
So if we update the mm. the framing of it, then maybe we have a chance at doing something original. That was kind of my idea. And, and how's that been for the band? Have you found a, a, a different audience now that, that are more into that modern jazz sound that maybe before had sort of thought, oh, they just do the sort of traditional stuff? Yeah, it it worked that way. You know, it, it, it didn't get as much press as I would have liked that album. But when we did the live gig at Earth in Hackney, you know, it was... It, you don't, I don't know, for me, since I'm like playing and you know this and you do too, um, that, you know, whereas people who are working in the management side of things or in the press side of things are like always in tune to what's going on, but actually your best impression is on the gig. Yeah. You know, when somebody comes up to you afterwards, that's like what you're, what I'm used to. Yeah. Is, that's real feedback for me. Absolutely. You know, not what somebody mm -hmm. writes in a magazine or what somebody you know, how many streams we have or whatever. And yeah, there were a lot of new people at the gig and a lot of people bought the record and were like, you know, I just looked in the London Jazz Festival program and I decided to come to this and I loved it. And I thought, well, that's really cool, you know? Yeah. And it, it was cool for me because it was, you know, in the current trend of London Jazz, you know, it's, it's very on trend to make kind of like hip hop influenced, beady kind of, very repetitive and kind of groovy um, dance-oriented music. That's how I hear it, at least. And I didn't want to just jump on the bandwagon. No. So this was a way to do it in my, you know, on my own terms. And with amazing people, I mean, I should say that, like, Jazz Kayser's on the record, drum, drummer Joe Webb on piano, Ferg Ireland on bass, and Dylan Jones on trumpet. And we got to do it at our own studio, the... Um, that place in Kennish Town that I always tell you yeah. about, Durham Sound Studios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was just like, um, you know, it's an all analog recording. It felt like, you know, you say that the album sounds a lot different and it does, but it didn't feel that different to make. It felt like right. the same process. It didn't yeah, feel like yeah. we were going, you know, oh, you know, because there's something so, you, you can get seduced so much by people saying like, I'm gonna put you with this producer and we're gonna get you in Abbey Road and yeah. it's gonna be huge, it's gonna be massive. And you're like, yeah, cool, but actually, I have this way that I do it every time and it works really well. So can I just do that? You know? So yeah. could you have done that if you wanted to do like to go for somewhere? Well, we had a budget, you know, yeah. we, we, you just we kind decide of, what to do with it. Yeah. yeah. And I just, there's something about working at a studio that, you know, that mm. means that you can just start working more quickly because you're like, yeah, we know the mics always go there. We know the piano sounds good like this. We know what mic to use on that. We know what mic to use on that. We know what like outboard gear to use. And then, you know, in, in three days you have an album. Whereas if you go to one of those bigger places, you might have to do sound tests for, you know, a day yeah. and figure out, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And recording in that analog way directly to, to tape, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's so, it's so fascinating because it's, it's hardly done really. It's very, it's, Usually everyone just records digitally. Yeah. Um, how does that, does that affect your performance or, yeah. or how, how, you, how you plan your recording sessions? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you just become way less precious about stuff. Right. Because you really have to make decisions, you know. It's yeah. Because like, we walked away from that. Um, you know, you, you make an album in a, in a week and then it's mixed and it's done and you, you can't really go yeah. back. So all those like decisions on on compression or EQ and all that. Well, you see, tape does, tape does amazing things for you, you know? Yeah. This is the thing about, um, you know, analog recording, once again, is this kind of, this kind of like 
cool offbeat thing that people always talk about. Um, but it's, it's really, I always think if you can play, it makes you sound amazing. And it doesn't always sound like tape records, tape recordings don't always sound vintage, you know, they don't yeah. have to sound vintage, right? Like a lot of the records that, you know, we like from the nineties that don't particularly sound vintage are all tape recordings, yeah. you know? Um, and, and some things that have been made digitally are made to sound really vintage and yeah, yeah it's just, it's not really a, um, it's not really about that. It's much more about the process. And the thing about the compression and stuff is that if you, you know, with tape saturation, if you record things in a certain way, like Lewis does, especially with drums, you don't actually have to compress the drums because the tape just kind of when, when somebody hits hard, it does the work for you because it doesn't, it, it will overload but the back can sound quite cool, not mm. like a digital distortion. Yeah, oh yeah. So yeah. it kind of, it's like a it's like a quick fix in a yeah. way, right? But then you have to have a guy like Lewis, who's a genius, who can fix it when everything blows up. Yeah. <laughs> I came to watch you in December at Ronnie Scott's doing the Ellington Nutcracker Suites. Yeah, thanks for coming to that. Oh, nice. it was amazing. Yeah. Went to the first show. You got me in for the second show as well. Thank you. <laughs> Sat at the bar next yeah, he, to Jay Rayner. Yeah, he was, he wasn't, I kind of forced him into the second show. He was like, I gotta go. I was like, oh. Oh, you're coming. Come back. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, that was brilliant. And I guess uh, with that, well, it sort of links to, to taking existing music, repurposing it, adding, and we were talking about on the train earlier about, about the, um, I mean, Tchaikovsky, I mean, what incredible music that mm. is anyway. Mm. But then to take for Ellington and, and Billy Strayhorn as well. Yeah. Together they wrote it, right? Yeah. Um, it's just so, it's so good. It's just a brilliant, and to see it live, because I've, you know, I've heard the records before, but... but um, well, that's exactly what brilliant. I wanted to do with the Plunderphonia stuff. Yeah. It's like, make something that's, you know, hopefully as good and different that doesn't try to kind of supersede the original. Yeah. It's like, they can exist next to each other and that's fine you yeah. know yeah. the other thing about plunderphonia by the way is that it was the first album that we've ever done or that i've ever done that was covers because everything smitty's yeah. has always been originals um and that was kind of because i thought how are we going to move this jazz thing forward if we're just playing the same songs from the 20s 30s 40s 50s and 60s all the time it's like surely we should do something like now that's expressive yeah when did the, the interest in the older style of jazz, when did you start being interested in that? I started being interested in that because of, because um, my, my roommate in Montreal had a Django Reinhardt record oh. and there was clarinet on it. Yeah. And I had never, I had always been interested in jazz on, on the saxophone. Yeah. And I always thought of the clarinet as, you know, this kind of vintagey thing and I, I hadn't found people like Sidney Bechet or Jimmy Noon or even Jimmy Jufri yet. I kind of just had like Benny Goodman and Artie Shaw, who are great, yeah. but it's not the way I want to play the clarinet, you know? So I was like, okay, well, maybe there is no precedent that I'm interested in for clarinet and jazz, which was totally wrong. It was just me not knowing anything. Um, and I kind of focused everything in my jazz like idea on playing saxophone. Um, and then. You know, when I moved to Montreal, Hans had this this Django record with clarinet on it, and I met these guys who were playing like um, Django style jazz, two guitars and bass. And I was like, "Wow, this is so cool!" Because there's no drums, and one of obviously one of the restrictions of clarinet is 
dynamics. Yeah. Because it's a quiet, it's a quieter instrument. So you really have to wail to get over, over the drums. Like yeah, in, the, yeah. in the gig that we do, um, there are a few solos, um, and I have to be in the upper register the whole time because yeah. otherwise, I, it's just like the the timbre of it doesn't cut through the drums. Right. Um, but when you play with acoustic instruments, you can like use the whole, the nicest part of the clarinet is the low register. You know, it's the part that's really like, kind of has some mystique and a lot of breathiness and it's, mm. it's great. It doesn't sound like anything else, you know? Um, so that was, that, was, that was when I got into it. I was kind of like 21, 22. And that was really a lot later than I'd gotten interested in jazz, but it just, it kind of caught my interest and I thought okay cool I'm on to this now I get it and I started listening to Louis Armstrong and Sidney Bechet and all that stuff when I was in Montreal and then moved to England that was right about the time that that great Gatsby movie came out oh yeah yeah which was what it was but it meant that all of a sudden you know because people have been playing traditional jazz in England for forever it's been a huge kind of pillar yeah yeah um because you had like the skiffle stuff and that was kind of tied in with jazz. And then you had like the trad revival, late 60s and 70s. And there's like much more of a history of it, much more of a, a kind of lasting legacy than there is in like New York, right? Um, so there were still people around playing that music. But then when that Gatsby thing happened, and that was right when I moved to London, all of a sudden there were all these like speakeasy gigs. Mm. And I don't really like the speakeasy thing because I feel like the music speaks for itself. However... What a great thing to move to a new city mm. and find loads of gigs for something that you didn't realize was important. Like playing jazz clarinet doesn't seem like something that would be like career fulfilling at all. Yeah. But all of a sudden it was like, oh, there's this guy that moved to town and he plays. So, cause there were, there were only like six jazz clarinetists in London anyway, you know? Yeah. So it was really a good a perfect... choice of city. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Perfect timing. So you were like the new guy. Like, this is the guy. He'll... I was the new guy. So people just called you up and you, yeah. you just did it. Yeah. I did that for, for a while and got to play in some cool places. And, you know, and then on those gigs, I met the guys that I work with now, the, all this kind of core Smitty's people, because just like me, they had shown an interest in that and there was work. So they were all of a sudden having to learn this old music. And, you know. So you happened. were playing old covers then? All covers. Yeah, all covers. Yeah. yeah, all covers. And, you know, it wasn't great. It wasn't like, it wasn't at the standard that I wanted to get to. And it wasn't, because the thing about those crazes is that it's more about the aesthetic than it is about the music. It's like, yeah. you know, what does your suit look like? Not yeah. like. What did you wear then? Were you like? Smart. You're smart. I don't, I don't really remember. <laughs> <Classic> <laughs> I remember you didn't there get were no uniforms no, no no t-shirts no <laughs> classic dapper i like yeah. that that choice what was the name Maybe of the band bow, bow ties <laughs> i don't know yeah I had to wear a bow ties i don't know i wore a bow ties sometimes sometimes yeah. why didn't, not didn't make me sound better um what was the name of the band then <laughs> oh it wasn't my band no no i was just getting booked by oh, other people okay, right. yeah so like yeah i don't know i mean i played with a bunch of them you know? yeah 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 so when did kansas smitties begin 2013 right so we've been doing it for a while. And that was the initially the group. And then at what point did it become, did you think about getting the venue and having the Kansas Smitty's place? Yeah. This is this is a long story. Right. Guys, yeah. Perfect. I'll Come try, on, we're I'll, ready. We're comfortable. I'll make it kind of um, <laughs> try, try keep it leave back. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a sandwich in there. Um, <laughs> 
we always wanted it to be a venue. We always wanted it to be a place. That was that was always part of the plan. And and when I got in touch with Jack, I had actually done a gig for him because he was promoting nights. And I had done a gig for him in London Fields Brewery, which ended up being about a four minute walk from where we ended up opening the bar. So it was kind of a weird serendipitous thing that that happened five years before. It was so weird. But I met him. I played in this, um, you know, I played... I had done a few swing gigs and the things that really blew me away were the swing dance gigs because I was like, here we are playing this old music. And I had been used to jazz gigs, right? Where, oh. <laughs> clang. Is that because you used to terrible language? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Ominous, isn't it? It is. <laughs> um, I was used to jazz gigs where you, you, you go set up in a club and like a lot of people come and they kind of sit cross-legged and they think about it and they like watch and then they clap at the end of every solo. And that, that was that was what I thought jazz was. Or maybe, at, you know, at its kind of loosest, you were at a festival and you were kind of chilling on the lawn and you were like eating, chatting to friends, whatever. But the dancing gigs, it was like, here are all these young people, you know, sometimes they're not, you know, it's just that... that they don't even usually come dressed in any kind of vintage garb. It's not just a costume party. And they would come and they'd dance for like three hours to jazz music. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like this is totally different use than I'm used to. You know, it's like this has a different purpose. And likewise, at that London Fields Brewery, we were playing jazz in this big, you know, it was a big railway arch where they micro-brewed beer. And it was just like a big party. And it was, you know, it was, it could have been a, you know, a punk band or it could have been a yeah. 70s cover band or it was us playing jazz tunes in the corner. And I was like, oh, okay, this is different. Like, maybe we should do this. And so I got in touch with Jack again because we weren't friends yet. And I was like, look, you know, I want to do this with this group of people that I've collected from all of these vintage jazz bands around town and the vintage jazz bands not kind of doing doing the music the way I wanted to do it. And I thought, well, there's a, there's a space for us here. You know, we can do this. We, we can make this music current because people don't need you to wear the bow tie and the funny suit and stuff. They can just, as proven, like they can just drink a beer out of a plastic cup and chill and like enjoy it and dance too. So that was the, that was the original genesis of the thing. And it wasn't until um, kind of four years later of doing gigs and pop-up events. And we did a bunch of stuff where we called it Kansas Middies and we'd throw a party and people would come. Um, we did a big barbecue. We did like... Um, yeah, I mean, all that kind of stuff. And then um, ran into this bar owner that we knew from Broadway Market because I was living around that part of town already. And we knew that he had a basement available and we were like, we want your space. Perfect. And that was it. So yeah. we were there for five years, you know. Did it feel like a real, you had a real community? Yeah. A place for people just to come and, and hang at night or during the day or when were you open? We were open from like six to 12. Yeah. Six nights a week. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we tried seven nights a week. We tried afternoons too, but nobody wants to drink in the basement on an afternoon. <laughs> yes. um, it was a great community. It was really cool. You'd see a lot of the same faces. I mean, that's the thing about, um, you know, a lot of the places that have jazz in London, you know, Ronnie Scott's being kind of the most obvious one. It's not a place that you want to go and drink every night. It's like a special occasion place. Yeah. And I always, I always thought, be great if there was like a neighborhood jazz bar where you can go in and have a drink, not break the bank, and and see really great music that's not yeah. necessarily somebody who's traveled a thousand miles to be there. Because 
let's be honest. I mean, the musical talent in London is pretty staggering. You know, you can do pretty well just yeah. by watching people that might live in the area, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's what we had, you know, we had, you know, Henry sat in the same stool on the bar every week. And we had a lot of people who, you know, would come and bring friends and they'd be like, oh yeah, I'm in town for like a couple of days. But I had, you know, a friend told us we had to come. We had these guys from Seattle come one time. We had people from Denmark. We had people from, I don't know, all over the, I mean, when we opened, we were, we even got an easy jet magazine. You know, we had, we had great. <laughs> wow. That, that's big though. Is it? Yeah. It was that. just, that you know, is. Yeah. we had great press for that kind of thing because it was like, here's a place you can go and experience really kind of gritty, real live music. Um, so did you have lots of bewildered looking people coming in from like Ljubljana and things with, with their, suitcases. their magazine? With su <laughs> yeah. yeah, just looking shocked and yeah. a bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, this is not the jazz bar you're looking for. Um, yeah, yeah, we had, we had a lot of fun. So you guys were running the bar as well as, it's yeah. amazing. And had anybody had experience in that before? Was this like a massive learning process? Oh, Jack. Yeah. Jack. Jack had. Brilliant. Yeah. Jack of was, course he did from the promotion. He had a personal license. He'd worked in bars. Mm. And we, you know, it was, it was, uh, there were so many lessons to be learned from that. You know, keep your offer concise. Make sure that your margins are right. Um, make sure that you're stocking stuff that's, you know, there, there are all sorts of drinks deals that you can end up doing that, really don't make any sense um you know we when we opened we were we, we were just you know we were so green but we were having a great time and we were like we're only going to do juleps that was our thing that was our do you know what so, a mint julep is no. so mint julep is like a it's like a classic southern you know porch cocktail and they serve them at the kentucky derby right yeah and it's like um like bourbon sugar and mint basically no oh, no bitters nice. even and ice yeah and it's it's delicious. Yeah. You can't go wrong. But then you can do all sorts of fun stuff with it. So ours was like, um, was steep for 48 hours with like dried peaches, cassia bark, oh. mint, um, yeah. raisins. And nice. it just tasted awesome. And that was, I had Fernet Branca in it. You know, you know what that is? No. It's like a really foul mint liqueur from Italy <laughs> that cocktail bartenders love because it tastes weird. It's yeah. like they all like Chinar. You know what that is? No. That's an, that's an artichoke flavored liqueur wow because bar, bartender look i mean somebody that i know who runs a really successful cocktail bar that will remain nameless um <laughs> once ran into me at a party and was like had had a few and was like well cocktails all just taste like melted ice lollies don't they <laughs> and i was like it's kind of yeah. true they're all like lemony maybe a little gingery they have sugar you know and so they're so these bartender guys are always looking for like new flavors yeah. Uh, anyway, so ours had Fernet Brank in it because it has has mint, and it it it, it was really great. Anyway, so we were like, we're just going to do juleps. We're going to do, and we had six. And so people would come downstairs for the music, and they'd be like, "Oh, can I just have a gin and tonic?" And we were like, "We don't do that." And they were like, <laughs> "They were like, yeah, but get out." We they were like, "Yeah, but gin gin and tonic." And we were like, uh, "No, we don't do that." Beer? Can I just have a beer? We had beers, luckily, but oh. but it was kind of a it was a, it was a, it was a, you know a learning curve with that stuff because it's like of course you have to do gin and tonics, <laughs> of course you have to serve like rum and coke, you have to do that, and we did. We ended yeah, up doing it. You did, but so we you, persevered you for we persevered end. for six months on wow. that. You know, oh, well done. It's just like, um, 
but there was, yeah, just so many things like that where you're dealing with customers and you just think it's so, it's so, I think you were asking me that the other day about yeah. going into places and, and I think, didn't you say, do you ever go into a place and feel like um, you could do it better than they did or something? Or maybe you asked me that, something maybe. like that. Sounds like a great question. And I, Hold on, Seb. I, 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 <laughs> I don't ever think that, but I always, I don't ever, I never kind of think presumptuously. Oh, I like, remember the, the question, yeah. yeah. Like going into other bars and think, if only they just put that table there, they put some different... Was this on your trip to a Weatherspoons? Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I could give Weatherspoons any suggestions. They seem to be doing really well. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, 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 the thing that you see when you go into places is, like, what decisions have they made? It's like, what, are, what decisions have they made around service? Like, yeah. you know, something that we all witnessed in COVID was, like, going to your local pub and you weren't allowed to, keep, like, queue at the bar to get a drink. And the interesting thing about that is actually the pub makes a ton more money if they do table service. Right. But it takes away that, that bustle around the bar that everybody likes. But actually, you can sell a lot more drinks if you just send one person around to all the tables rather than sending all the people to the bar. Yeah. It's just like little things like that. You think. Yeah, so you get more money, but there's less vibe, there's yeah. less enjoyment yeah. for the customer. Yeah. So. And curating as well. So I guess you were going around and seeing lots of people play, were you, at the same time? Or was it, did people tend to come to you and say, we'd like to... Like to play, or were you constantly on the lookout? Yeah, God. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of that, and and that's an, one you know one other huge learning from this was like it's really hard to to turn somebody down for a gig, and that never really gets easier because mm. because it's so subjective to mm. you know what's good and what's not. But when you run a place long enough, and you know I've I've been I think I was in a unique position because I'd been on both sides of the coin. You know I'd been turned down to play at bars loads of times or turned down to play at venues or turned down to play with other people. And it's, it always sucks. But, um, when you're running a place, you have to have almost, it's almost like you're, it's almost like you're working for somebody else because the venue, if you have any kind of good bar venue or cafe, it has its own personality. Yeah. So it's like, you're booking, it's like, I'm booking this band for Kansas Smitty's. It's not really based on what I like. And I made that mistake a lot of times, booking things that I really liked. Like Gabby was talking about that guy, Bartek Glowacki, you know, the, right. the, or Glowacki, I think. Do you know him? I don't the, know. The, the way you're motioning is, is accordion. I'm accordion, assuming right. it's accordion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for that. Or fanning. Yeah, or fanning. <laughs> yeah, it's just amazing fan artist. I mean. Not appropriate. <laughs> he was not just appropriate. busking in the tube one day and yeah. I was like, I, I have to him. draw you. Um, and um, yeah, he came and he played. And I loved it because it was like totally up my street. Didn't make any sense for the venue at all for a classical accordionist to play. Right. Didn't yeah. sell any tickets. Oh, I see. You know? So you're working for the for your customers, really, or your, or your yeah. But it's not just them. You're working for the kind of the ethos of the venue, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like you have to honor that. Yeah. And and so I realized that, like, you know, when I was writing to people to say, you know, this doesn't work for us right now or whatever, it's like it doesn't work for the venue. It's not that your music is bad. It's like you always have to think about that when you're approaching a hall or a concert place or whatever. You have to think, one, they're probably desperately trying to get by right they're not just like on this pedestal just like looking down at everybody and like you suck you suck you suck it's like there's no music venue that's just like cruising through life no. right because it's, it's a labor of love and the second thing is just that maybe your music isn't right for them you know and that's that's a lot easier to deal with 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I've, I've seen you purchase three sandwiches today and, yeah. and eat uh, half of all of them. All of them? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's a sign, isn't it? It's strange, yeah. yeah. Just... And I've only had half of my juice. Interesting. What wow. is this? I don't know. Wearing half of your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> we won't say which half. <laughs> um, what I thought um, I was really inspired by when was when the pandemic hit. Is that you, you shifted um, from you know obviously couldn't be in a, in a cellar mm. playing music every night, but um, you started doing a podcast and or, or YouTube um, live streamed yeah. thing every every day, wasn't yeah. it? Was it every yeah, seven days a week? every day. Every That's day. That's extraordinary. Well, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's incredible. Hard to remember even, you know, doing that. How did you do that? I mean, how did, I mean, what, what was your thought process? Like, right, I've, just got, I've got to keep doing something or keep working or what? This is the good thing about having, you know, a business partner and like, like you both, you know, working on a project with somebody else is that they, you know, that. The, the power of a team is, is greater, you know, it's always yeah. greater. And so I can't take credit for, you know, I, I did the work to push that forward, you know, but, you know, I called Jack and I was like, what do we do? Because we had started live streaming gigs. That's what we started oh, doing. Oh, you had to, done that Yeah, we did, we did a week of that. So our show got, Seb and I were on this show right. when everything got closed down. Oh, and yes. And we got sent off stage after the sound check. I mean, it was like was so demoralizing and sad. It was yeah. just like, okay, uh, we'll all just rush home and then be locked in the house for yeah. two months. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so we got shut down on the Monday. Um, on the Wednesday, we started live streaming gigs and they were, I mean, it was so basic. It was like a little, it was like the camera microphone. It was all jerry-rigged and the stuff was out of sync and there was still like, you know, the little yellow square viewfinder on the camera screen. <laughs> yes. But we were on YouTube, you know, we were already, we were doing it and it so wasn't. That was a reaction to the pandemic. You're like, you're going, oh, okay, let's, let's yeah, think like, of something. Let's just put on a gig, you yeah, know, let's yeah. just do it. Um, and that was because of two people. That was because of Jack, one, and two, because of this friend of ours called Ed Cook, who's um, in the tech world and, re- you know, you came to the live streaming studio, right? No. Oh, you never came? Never came, no. So it was like, uh, it was in the ground floor of an office building um, for this tech company called Memrise that makes a language app. It's a great app for learning like a second language. And Ed is the kind of the brains behind that with a few partners. And he said, look guys, you know, this is going to be a big period and there's something to be said for being there first in my world. You know, he was like in the tech world, there's something to be said for being there first. And so you don't necessarily have to be the best, but you have to just do it. 
And we were like, okay, cool. He was like, I have the best internet in East London, so why don't you just come do it from here? The best internet in East London? <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a hell of a thing. <laughs> Pretty good, right? That's that a is plan. good. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> um, so we started doing those gigs, and then yeah. obviously then we were all told to stay home. Mm. And so that was, that was when I called Jack, and I was like, like all of us, you know, really down, just like, I can't believe we don't get to do even the thing that keeps us, you know, kind of stimulated creatively. The, even that thing is gone now, you know? Yeah. Obviously, so many thousands of people had lost so much, but, you know, just thinking about what I needed, I was like, that's a downer, probably yeah. for both of you too. Yeah. Hugely. Um, yeah. So it was just like, it was a momentum thing. It was like, we have this brand, we have nothing else to do. Let's do this project. And it's a marathon. It was like a marathon. It was like, there were many days, because I did it with Darcy, who was actually formerly our bar manager, but had done a film studies degree in Australia. Right. Just okay. conveniently. So perfect. Yeah. He was <laughs> like, I'll produce it. I'll be the producer and you talk. And then we did like 50 shows or 52 yeah. shows. And, you know, I look back on that and like a lot of them aren't good, you know, for me. I'm not like, I don't, look, I don't watch them and think, oh, that was really. But there were a few of them that I thought, that was really nice and I learned something and I think the people watching it learned something that they wouldn't have otherwise learned. And two, I was able to forge a closer relationship with somebody that I probably wasn't going to see for two years, you know, mm -hmm. because some of them lived in the States and some of them lived in uh, Europe and some of them, and it was just like, you know, some of those people I still haven't seen. Mm. And so it kept, it, it really kept the whole music network from Kansas Smitty's intact yeah and to interview someone every day did you have to do a bit of research beforehand and, and all that so a lot of work yeah i tried to darcy helped me with that so he would send me notes Great. sometimes and i would do some research and also i knew them already you yeah know? i knew all of them yeah, oh yeah. did you i That's knew all of them right yeah. i didn't get fed people yeah. i just kind of because i thought i have all these people that i've met over the years that i would really like to talk to about their experiences and it was really it was easy like that. I I, I talked to um, so Jay Rayner is that, that you know the yeah. guy that came to the the um, yeah the food critic food mm. critic yeah. amazing writer yeah he's yeah. amazing writer he's on MasterChef as well on MasterChef yeah. and when you talk to him about doing interviews he doesn't leave any stone unturned he'll prep for an interview really thoroughly he'll you know if it's if he's interviewing somebody that I know he'll call me up and ask me a bunch of questions so I'm sure for the Rob one. Yeah. He'll call me up and ask me questions and say like, "What's?" Because he'll have an angle that he's going to take, right? So he mm. he's he's got Rob on on his on podcast his, on his podcast this week, I think. Yeah, yeah this yeah, week, yeah. yeah. Oh. And I I didn't know that was how you did it, you know. Yeah. I, I knew that you had to do research, but to to do it that thoroughly, I've kind of learned that now from him. But yeah. but I would just go on the call and think, I know about I know about what this person's done. Let's just start talking and see where we get to. Mm. Yeah, and that gives quite a different vibe, yeah. which is also really cool. Like I, I like that. There's that. I was listening to somebody on Adam Buxton's podcast last year. It was an Irish man, and I can't think who it was now. Was it Tommy Tiernan? Yes. Yeah. And he was talking about his show where he doesn't know. <laughs> like, well done. Right? <laughs> That's great. What am I thinking right now? Um, you're thinking the of, other half of your oh, sandwich. Sorry. Yeah. Aubergine with, with melted cheese. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. I'll tell you later. Um, what was Tommy Tiernan um, saying? He was talking oh, his show where he doesn't yes. know anything and he'll get people... Is that it was a, right? It was a TV show. Yeah, yes. and they would just say, here's your next guest. It's this yeah. person. 
And he'd so he'd have nothing Is on it live them. telly as well, maybe yeah, even. I feel like or there was so many elements. At least they filmed it. Made my palms sweat a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but I mean, it gives of, a whole different feel, doesn't it? It's much more of what I'm used to with jazz, you know. Yeah. So I yeah. almost feel like if I did prep for it, I would I would sound bad because mm. it would all be stilted mm. and it would maybe end up going somewhere that I'd think, oh, I wish I could pursue that, but I have this thing that I have to do, you know, yeah. it's like this agenda. Yeah. It's like, I want to be able to talk about whatever comes up, you know. That's true. It's a tricky one because you feel like I should prep or what if we run out of things to talk about? Um, I owe it to them to, to have done the research, but then, yeah, you don't want it to sound like a formal interview. Right. Because um, I listened, like I asked Rob Bryden actually, because he, he does his podcast and he says he doesn't really do any any prep really because he, he knows everyone that he's had on really uh, maybe he's, he's done some other others recently maybe that that he hasn't known personally but um also mark Marin as well mm. he he i'm sure he said he doesn't ever do any prep maybe if it's barack obama he, he might have done that, <laughs> yeah. but have um, a few facts and figures at his fingertips <laughs> yeah but then when we talked to jude um Jude, Jude Rogers. Jude Rogers. <laughs> Jude Rogers, the um, amazing music uh, journalist. Yeah, she was saying, yeah, you just prep loads. You you write down just loads of questions. You just have as much as you can. Yeah. Because yeah. I guess for that kind of job, you probably travel over to America and you, you spend a weekend with somebody. And yeah, um, I don't know. It's like it's a balance, isn't it? Because you want it to be a natural conversation. and But then... And that, but also, I think if people get the sense that actually, yeah, you, it is just a free form thing, then it gives you more freedom and, and they're a bit more uh, accepting Like if it is a little bit looser and, and that. Well, in this whole yeah. generation of podcasts, yeah, you can do that, you know? And yeah, I think that's, that's right. why Jay is very different because he comes from, you know, hard journalism background. He's like, Definitely, yeah. he's like, why would I go in unprepared? This is my job. Like, I'm going to do a good job, yeah. you know? Um, but then on the other extreme, you have Joe Rogan just like rapping for three hours about yeah. random stuff. <laughs> He's doing really well, isn't he? Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, I'd rather listen. Rather <laughs> listen. <laughs> Is he on Spotify? <laughs> he? Yeah, something yeah. about that. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Anymore. <laughs> oh, no. So you can't, you can't listen to Kansas Smithies anymore. It's, it's been taken off. <laughs> You're hanging out with Joni Mitchell and Neil Young. Yeah, uh, over yeah. There. Crosby, Stills and Nash. I think I saw they put something up today. Oh, really? Oh, did they? They support support those guys. Yeah. It's interesting. Maybe maybe this could be the end of Spotify. Spotify is good though, isn't it? For the the I algorithm is good. It is good. It is. It is good. Yeah. I mean, I'm an Apple me. Music person though. Are you are. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm, you know, I've but been, they... I bought into the whole thing. I yeah, feel disgusted with myself. Bought into it. Yeah. Do they suggest music for you? Not really. Loosely, occasionally they'll say, "This is what you've been listening to." We, Get a life. Been, we know what you've been listening to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I like that. I like the um, like Zane Lowe's program on there, and I like oh, that's true. Yeah, Elton John's program on there. There's some good things. Right. So I hear new stuff through that. I'm not right. defending. I'm not defending Apple. It's fine. I'm sickened yeah, with always, myself. Who's defending Apple? Aren't you? It's just one of my things. Apple apologist. Yeah, I am. I've got stickers everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have a? Patch um, don't your, talk you've got about it. Chip that's been put into your brain. Mm, yes. you're, you're beta testing it, aren't you? <laughs> I have to charge myself. But they change the charger end every time. It's costing me a fortune. That'd be a problem with that chip you put in your brain. Oh, a new USB oh God, they've D. run me down again. So you did the podcast and then you 
then you started KSTV. That's right. right. Yeah, and that was it. Was that in that same place? That was in that saying? same place. Yeah, that office. And that that yeah. was that was more of the cura, you know, cura, curational, curative, not curative, curational <laughs> stuff. Curative. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because you, you did some really interesting gigs and, and putting new people, and it seemed to be a very different personnel. That all was the different time. every night. Yeah. That was yeah. there was never really a repeat with that stuff, and that was a really good exercise for me, you know, because we're ramping up now to to try and open a new Kansas Smitty's. And doing KSTV for a year, you know, putting putting together bands, putting on gigs, like curating a program. Can you play this music? Can you play the music of so and so? Can you play this mood? Whatever. It's such good training for like, how can I keep an audience stimulated in a venue? You know. Yes. Because um, that's the ultimate test, especially at a time when the internet is flooded with things. Yeah. But and but the opportunity for people to turn off as well. Well, exactly, yeah. I mean, our our numbers, streaming numbers didn't make that a viable business. But right. what we learned through doing it, I feel like was worth the effort because it was it's a ton of work. I mean, you, mm. you you know, you're doing, you know, you're yeah. doing the podcast and promoting it and producing it and stuff and to do video content, you know, five nights a week. Sometimes we were doing it twice a week, sometimes we were doing it um, once a week, I mean, we went through all kinds of permutations, you know, what's going to work the best. Yeah. Um, but there was also, you know, the advantage of having, we got some fun- funding from the arts council and we thought, well, look, you know, we could try and keep some of this money for ourselves, or we can like learn this new skill and give all this money to musicians and creatives who have no other income. And so, you know, cause we paid everybody to play and we paid our staff to you know, it wasn't the best money they've ever made, but it gave everyone a reason to come and work on a project together. And um, and we met some amazing people through doing that and learned all these skills about streaming and presenting and putting together a program and like what works and what doesn't. Um, and that's, I feel like something that's going to help. Yeah, with, hugely. With the new place. Yeah. Can you talk about the new place? Yeah. So we're looking at this site right now in a new part of Canary Wharf. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Oh, Interesting, fancy. right? Yeah. 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 Fancy. And um, I, th- I think that, you know, people think of Canary Wharf as like one big office. And it's it's interesting. You know, it's I, I, I think of it as, um, you know, I think people think of it as quite a departure from Broadway Market. You know, they're like, oh, Broadway Market is like this bohemian, like trendy hipstery like old world market street and whatever and canary wharf is this big glass and steel buildings and actually the more i think about london's neighborhoods i think well actually i think of broadway market is almost like canary wharf with the mask on yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's all the same yeah. ca- kinds of people that work yeah. there and yeah. actually um they just kind of embody this creative artistic um space and why couldn't they just bring that down there, it doesn't really matter. Um, and there's always going to be. We, we live in one of the kind of richest cities in the world. Like, there's always going to be money flying around, and sometimes people just don't want you to know that they have it, um, and sometimes <laughs> they're not shy about it. And, yeah. and I think that's to me that was really, you know, to just get rid of that stigma of like, ooh, Canary Wharf. I was like, oh, it's kind of nice, really clean, really easy to get to. They want us to go there, and they're investing in this whole new creative district, which is the thing that's really exciting to me because, you know, London is so, uh, Londoners, especially the kinds of people that come to us 
are the kinds of people that are always looking for a new experience, you know? And yeah. here's a you know chance, instead of just saying, oh, we're gonna open another bar in Shoreditch, where it's like Shoreditch every day looks more and more like, you know, Westfield shopping mall. You know, it's just like, it's the same hat stand, the same Chinese food stand that you get in Camden Market and that you get on Portobello Road and that you get in every, it's just like, it's, it's cookie cutter, you know? And it, yeah. it looks Victorian and it looks old school, but that's just the movie set. That's not actually the product. And so I thought, okay, well, actually the interesting things that are happening in London are these agendas of people who are trying to create a new scene, you know, like you got with Cold Drops Yard yeah. in King's Cross, which is really still an exciting place to I go hang out, you know? Yeah. Um, did you go, sorry, on a side yeah. did you go and see any of the live shows they did there in the summer last year? I saw one actually, yeah. So good. Yeah. We went to see Shakoya. Do you know those guys? Oh my God, the yeah. Um, Susie's, Susie's yeah. band. Yeah, yeah. I love them. Susie's they played at my so wedding. so good. Yeah, she's yeah. playing. She's great. How's yeah. she doing? Well, I haven't seen it. She she actually wasn't doing that one there. Okay. But they were, so they're great. I yeah. really love it. She's That's great. a good venue. It was lovely. They had these sort of outdoor stages. Did you see any? No. Uh, they put out chairs and it's just, it's a, it's a really nice kind of outdoor, yeah. spontaneous feel to the... It's a wonderful yeah. setting, you know? Mm. And, and that's what happens when you get a development agency that says, okay, we want to make something new. And um, Canary Wharf are doing that with this Wood Wharf um, estate that we would be in. And they have Hawksmoor, Deschum, Mercato Metropolitano, mm. Hoxton Hotel. You know, a lot of the big names in yeah. Patty and Bun in kind of East London, mm. eating out. And, and then they have a whole other area that's, um, they're basically, they're, they're, they're testing stuff. They're, they're making moves. And that's exciting to me to be part of something new. Because initially we thought, oh man, we really want to go into Soho. We want to go. We looked at a site in Carnaby and yeah. we were close to getting that. And then that fell through. And then later their next tenant fell through and they came back to us and they were like, would you consider taking it? And we were like, no, lockdown, dude. Like, mm. um, and so it's exciting. Yeah. What an opportunity though, if, if this if it comes off because it's you show me the floor plans wow i mean it's just it looks so exciting oh thanks man yeah, yeah. i'm excited about it i mean i think i think i think it'll be a challenge as ever but um but it's uh yeah it's it would be it would be amazing on a lot of levels to continue the story you know because a lot of people have said to me oh, are you sure you want to have a venue and you know that you and jack want to have a venue because you're working on a lot of music projects and you know I love to play, you know, that's why I'm in this, right? Um, but to continue that, you know, the, the you asked me how we started the bar when we yeah. started talking and that was such a, a formative place for our whole career and everything we've done, you know, all the Kansas Smitty stuff. We didn't talk about the Jamie Cullen thing yet. We did that collaboration with him. And I have to say, I mean, I think that having the venue and, and creating a place for musicians to meet really separated us from all the other amazing musicians in London. It was just like, that was, that was something that, that was like our USP, you know? Yeah. It's like, and it wasn't that we got together in a room in the beginning and were like, oh, I know how we can be different. We'll <laughs> open a bar, you know? It's like, it happened, that was real, but it, it also just became something that was part of our DNA, you know? Yeah. I guess it gives you way more creative control actually as well, because you, you are in control of all those elements. So. I, it must be incredibly freeing in many ways, despite the kind of, I mean, things like financial and all those elements 
obviously feeling like a tie, but I guess the creative freedom must outweigh that hugely. I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah. 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 And now you're, you're deciding what, what kind of food to have, what sort of decorations yeah. to have up and all that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. Ooh. So you're just talking People about... People like ju- pizza? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like juleps, actually. So Great. Bring them, bring them back. <laughs> well, we, only have, we only have those. Good. I'm there. Um, and, and good Wi-Fi as well. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll try. The <laughs> best the best in Canary Wharf. Yeah, well. <laughs> I need that guy. And <laughs> yeah. um, you were just talking about Jamie Cullum there. We haven't got onto that. Because you went full Christmas this year, didn't you? We did, yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, was it... Well, when did you start collaborating with him on that Christmas album? In in May. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a really long funny. time to be festive yeah. for. <laughs> Beat the supermarkets just. Was, um, yeah. How did hilarious. that come into being? Well, this is the thing about, you know, the, the KSTV, um, you know, the, that whole endeavor. Um, like I said to you before, it wasn't, it wasn't like we set up this thing that sometimes... Sometimes a project is just a stepping stone, right? Yeah. And you learn this whole new skill and you... It was that thing we were saying about hard work versus smart work. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's from my friend Tyrone, who's like super wise and says all these things that always make me think. And hard work versus smart work to me meant sometimes you just throw your heart and soul into a project and actually you end up having to walk away from it, mm. you know? Smart work is when you have a strategy and every piece of the puzzle fits in and you're moving forward and, and you never deviate from the plan. But the KSTV thing was out of necessity. It was like, we can't have people in the room. We'll put the gigs on YouTube. But what that did was for the people that we were sending out our mailers to and who followed us on social media or, or even just caught wind of what we were doing because they knew somebody who was playing, we kind of stayed in their minds where other venues didn't or other, other people didn't. And I feel like, I mean, I never asked Jamie how he decided to work with us, but I can't help feeling that, you know, us being around doing that stuff probably helped us come to mind. I mean, he'd been promoting our band for a long time on his radio show and, and you know, always saying really just the nicest things about our music and really complimentary stuff. But he sent us an email in March of 21 and he was like, do you want to do a couple of tracks on my Christmas album? And I'd never met him before, even though he'd played us on his show and I'd done some like interviews for him, not with him. Um, and we were like, yeah, it'd be amazing. So, you know, two tracks became three, became five. And then we went into the studio and we did 11. Wow. And it was just this incredible kind of, you know, collaboration in the truest sense where everybody was just kind of elevating everyone else. And it was that whole, you know, the proof of the method of the everybody in the same room was like, you know, you usually think of when, when people do pop records, it's like the rhythm section makes the bass track, you know, the, the track, and then you overdub over the track, and then the singer comes in and tracks vocals, and then you slice up all the vocals, and then boom, you have a really polished, controlled record. But actually, when you're making rec- you know, a record with everybody in the room, having the singer there just makes the whole thing different because everybody's listening to them. So their sense of timing, their sense of enthusiasm, their dynamics, you're playing with responsive people. I mean, you know, the, the rhythm section, you know, the Will Cleesby, Ferg, Dave, and Joe are just so in tune to one another and also just want to make anyone that's playing with them sound better. 
And so it would just kind of, it would just blow up every time. I thought, wow, this is incredible. I want to do more of this. I know we're on edging towards wrapping up, but um, I just wanted to ask very quickly. So you grew up in Saratoga? Saratoga, New York, yeah. Musical, very, was jazz a big thing there or you were very classical to begin with, right? Yeah. 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 Was jazz a big thing? It was for me. Yeah. Um, And I had a few people that really were kind of instrumental in kind of encouraging me. Mm. Um, One was my band director who was like, you know, a huge Michael Brecker fan. And, you know, that's why I didn't get into the whole old school thing for a long time because I was so... That was where I, you know, I grew up with people who were, who knew people who were doing it in New York. And they were like, oh, you need to check out, you know, um, Don Menza and Mike Brecker and Bob Mincer. And you need to check out, um, you know, all these people that were still around when when I was growing up. Um, And so that helped. You know, there were a few people. There was a guy that worked in, in the Borders Books and Music who knew, you know, about jazz. And he would tell me what CDs to buy, you know, because it was back that day and he was like oh you really like this one and like it was like art blakey and the jazz messengers are like oh yeah you have to have that and it was like you know lee morgan sidewinder all these like these things and it's it's funny because they're not i mean my band director is a really close friend but to have somebody at the record shop that's like yeah check this out who's not really a friend but you also trust them yeah yeah that's good it was it was weird for me with jazz because i didn't really have friends i could share it with it was just like my thing and then when i came to you know, to London, all of a sudden I had like this, and actually Montreal, you know, I had this whole scene of people into music as well, you know, that kind of music. So it must have been great when you arrived in that new place and you go, do you know this album? And people go, yeah. Yeah, you go, it's oh like X-Men what? going to <laughs> yeah, the yeah. whatever institute, you know, it's like, yeah. I always say that to I, Joe. It's like, it's such a weird thing to be interested in. It's like, it's, it's not, it's for you, right? It's not like... Yeah. Uh, because you can play jazz and not be like into records. I, I, I totally embrace that. Yeah. I think it's like playing and listening are two separate things. Yeah. Totally. And I think that it's yeah. great to be able to enjoy the music that you play casually, but actually it's also okay if you just do it as a job and then you go home and you listen to whatever, you know, it just yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I, I know, find, yeah. I find, so I was saying, but these days listening to an album, I feel like I need to go, I, I don't listen to that while I'm doing something else. Like you, you want to, set aside time for it or I'll do it when I'm driving to that thing uh, or or like maybe I listen to more podcasts or radio shows these days and, and it's sort of it's a different thing you could totally just just live your life playing jazz and actually never listen to any any albums ever yeah you could just listen to Radio 4 well I've heard I've heard actually you know like Wynton Marsalis who's somebody I'm a big fan of isn't like you know a big consumer of listening to music i know somebody had a lesson with him and was like yeah i mean he, he had never heard this lee morgan album or he would never and you're just like like in my head I was yeah. like, what <laughs> how? How, how does he not know everything about everything yeah. yeah yeah um but it makes sense you know why would that's refreshing isn't it yeah so he's like oh okay i don't have to listen to everything just, <laughs> yeah okay yeah, yeah. i just play and, and relax yeah. he's way more into drake <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's what he's really, that's what he really wants. Um, But yeah, that's where I grew up. And that's kind of, there was a jazz festival every summer. And so I saw a lot of, you know, it was like a weekend a year. I would see like amazing live gigs. And that was it, you know, was, it was like much more something that I listened to on CDs and practiced and Mm. thought about. And then, you know, yeah. Did you play along to records? A little bit. Or transcribe things? I didn't really transcribe stuff, no. No. 
I was never very good at it. But, um, you know, I just try and imitate the sound and yeah. get into, yeah, you take little bits of it, you know, little sounds like, oh, that chord, it's really nice. It, yeah. There's always something that really gets you, right? Yeah. Did you write music then? Um, I can't remember. I, you, I mean, so. how much of the music do you write now? Like when you're, if it, you're doing a Kansas Smitty's album, well, is it, is it come from you or does it, is it yeah, collaborative? Yeah, a lot. It's, it's collaborative Very though. collaborative, yeah. I'd say I probably do, you know, I probably write 70% of it. Yeah. Um, and then, but it's, it's, you know, it's funny. I, I never thought that that was different, but I know a lot of people who run projects, you know, project-based bands who, when their name is on it, it's like, they are the only ones that write the music. Mm. And I didn't realize that was how people did it. I was like, well, why wouldn't you want everybody to write the music? But I guess it's a different way of controlling the sound. It's like, if it was the Giacomo Smith experience, then it would probably make more sense for me to have written all the music, but it's yeah. not. It's Once mm. again, it's this, this external, th I never wanted it to be my name because I think that's a lot of pressure. I didn't, I didn't want to think that it was only my artistic statement. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's like, like the bar. It's like this other thing that has its own ethos. And it's like, sometimes Kansas Smitty's does things that Giacomo Smith wouldn't do. Yeah. You know? It's like, that's yeah. nice, you know? And so, um, yeah, I mean, Dave has written a lot of music, Alec, Joe, um, Ferg's written some music for this. We have a new album that's just not finished. And once again, was recorded over lockdown. So trying to get that done this year. Um, and Ferg has two tunes on it. Adrian used to write for the band as well. I'm trying to get Laura Jurd to write some music for the yeah. band. I think she'd really, you know, it's cool to have like this, you know, it's like if you had a, you know, a string quartet and you got to commission works from somebody and then actually have them come play it with you. Yeah, quite. It's like, That's really cool, cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, no, it's just a great collaborative thing and the fluids, like I mean, you've got some core members, but I like how, you know, for certain projects, you know, I'll get these guys in for that. Mm. Sometimes it's a big band. Sometimes it's, it's a small group or, yeah, um, the big band thing was really fun. That was great. Love that. to do that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, we, we, we've got we've got to finish here because I can. The drums have been sound checked. Yeah, they're, you're going to be needed, aren't you? Soon? Uh, I feel like at any moment, yeah. Uncle Bryn could walk in the room. So, um, thanks so much. Thank for, you both. Yeah, that was really fun. So brilliant. Thanks for traveling to Worthington. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad of all the places I could have come to see you. I'm glad it's here. <laughs> Thanks, Giacomo. Hey, thank oh. you so much. It was so lovely to meet him. I yeah. really, really liked him. He's one of those guys, what inspirational guy. And uh, yeah, continuing to do exciting things. Yeah. Coming up. I should say, I remember, I remember meeting him. It was before this tour. It was in 2014. I was out with some friends and bumped into Pedro Segundo, who used to play drums yeah. for Smitty's. And he was like, oh, meet this guy. It's Giacomo. I met him. We went, we went to a, like this Turkish place. Lovely. And we had a little chat and got on, got on well. And, um, and here you are now. Here we are now. Great. I remember that moment because I'd actually literally just, it was quite a turning point in my life because I'd just turned down Assassins, which was a show I did with Alan oh, Williams. Oh, yeah. Because I was already working somewhere else and I wanted to do that work, but I also wanted to get into doing West End stuff. And this was at the Many A Chocolate Factory and I turned it down and I was like, I can't, I've got this nice orchestral stuff. And then the person that recommended me for it texted me and was like, right, you, you should do this. You'd love it. Yeah. And, you know, this is a really good opportunity. I was like, oh. But I remember seeing Jacko just before that and I 
he'd said, oh, do you do West End stuff? And I was like, oh, I do want to do West End stuff, actually. I just got asked. It was like, because it's, it's weird turning point. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, I contacted Alan and said, look, I will do it. Please call off the search. <laughs> oh, I'm your guy. And you did. And I did do it. Aww. And then, you know, it led to, led to Funny Girl. It led yeah. to meeting you. Yeah. It led to doing the podcast. Oh, hard, hard so, luck. So, <laughs> so, you know, swing, swings and roundabouts and all. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's funny, you, yeah. you know. Little moments in your life. Yeah, not, not that Jack and I had, but he did. I just remember meeting him, chatting to him. He's got one of those guys that he kind of. But <laughs> he's got his, something about him. It's like a, a mysterious quality. And I think people like opening up to him and talking to him. Just, yeah, yeah. He's he's, he's got, got a he's, very easy warmth about him. He does. I think. Yeah. You know, like I, I hadn't met him before, and I found it. He's very easy to chat to, isn't he? Yeah. 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 Fascinating guy. So, check out all their stuff. They've got albums out. They do uh, gigs. I mean, they'll be doing gigs again. That they are also playing in other venues as well. So they're going to have a great future. Yeah. So get on board. Get, do it. Um, get on the Kansas Smitties train. <laughs> um, well, I've already spent a whole day with you, haven't I? We've been looking around uh, later. <laughs> yeah, but for so, really exciting for, reasons. Yeah, for exciting Shall reasons. Shall we say? Yeah. Or is it, yeah? Shall we? Yeah, We're going to do on. another, you know... You know, we were going to do that live stream. You know that? Yeah. Before Christmas. Oh, yeah. COVID got in the way. Of course it did. Yeah. Um, we are going to do one. Yes. And we're, we've just been looking at venues and we think we've found a little gem, don't yeah. we? Yeah. Yeah. We've just been doing a whistle-stop tour all over Leighton. <laughs> yeah. Quite a big place. Lots of one-way streets. Yeah. But thankfully, all the parking is 15 minutes for so free. good. No return within four hours or whatever. I know. But not bad. Um, and also, yeah. I took you for a great sandwich, didn't I? Oh, my God. Deanie's. Where yeah. is it? Leighton High Street, is it? Yeah. Deanie's, Scottish cafe, I guess. Yeah, that's right. I had a haggis uh, toasty, which is called the Hamish Macbeth. It looks so good. It had, well, bread, <laughs> haggis, bacon, some sort of caramelised onion. Yeah, that's the magic. Egg. Yeah. Mustard or something? I don't know. There's something in there. Oh, my word. Very nice. So, um, so yeah. So, we've got something really exciting coming up early summer. That's right. Yeah. To kick off your festival season, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. So, stay tuned. We can't really tell you any... We haven't actually got We haven't got any details. (laughs) No details. (laughs) But it's going to be a good one. Yeah, it is. We're dead excited about it. Yeah, that's right. So there we are. But um, I tell you what we should do. We should go through all the, the admin, the week's admin, which is... Week's admin. One, saying a massive thank you to Chimney Fire oh, Coffee. thank you, guys. Ah, oh, brilliant. They support this episode and other episodes. <laughs> they do. They have supported this episode. Yeah. So thank you. Um, if you would like to try out Chimney Fire Coffee, they are doing a very special deal just for listeners of this show. Go to their website which is chimneyfirecoffee.co.uk and then when you buy your first bag of coffee you just have to put in the code TIAB20 that's so right 20% off um and can i just say i saw on yeah. there yes hey, you can the, say can this i is, can i say this is exactly the right forum if you say anything like great perfect uh, i saw on their instagram that they are doing like nespresso type pods oh. which are eco-friendly because they are 
compostable. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so good. So get some of those, guys. Yeah. I'm going to get some of those, actually. Have you got an espresso machine? Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, I know. Our well, coffee they call it broken. George Clooney in, in Europe sometimes. Do they? I've heard Europeans say, oh, we've got hey, to... George Clooney. We've got to George Clooney. <laughs> yeah. Mm, nice well yeah, yeah. Check, check them out good stuff um what else should we say um i'm now gonna use the say not use the patreon yes oh yeah we've, we've got, got one yeah bonus extra material there's more Giacomo smith if you mm. want more there's more of loads of our former guests and and also if you join our patreon for i think it's three pounds fifty is that right yeah £3.50 a We've month. had new uh, Patreons join. Patrons. Oh. What do you call them? Members. Members yeah. of our members jo- club. Join our members bar. Um, yeah, thanks for doing that if you have just recently joined. Yeah. But for £3.50 a month, you get all this bonus material, but also, like, at some point, we'll come up with other cool things that you, <laughs> you can yeah. have. And just the joy of knowing that you're supporting us yeah. and helping us make yet more of these podcasts. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Thanks. Um, it does does take a bit of effort, doesn't it? Yeah, it and does. Costs. There are co- there are running costs. Got overheads, don't you know? Yeah. Hamish right. Smith Best don't buy themselves. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Patreon, for that delicious lunch. <laughs> Not really. Um, that's probably it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, let's wrap um, this one up. But but congratulations, by the way, on your Stilo, uh, your Kickstarter. We hit our target. You hit your target, didn't you? Yeah, thanks. I didn't actually give any, any money yet, but I will give you some money. Can I still what? give you money? I was going to, and then it, it, you'd already well, made your 100%. <laughs> Forget about it. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, yes, anyone can. Any extra money anyone is welcome. Give, give extra money, please. Spare cash, anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. We'll take it. It's fine. Um, yeah. I see a child poking his head up. Hello. Oh, hi. Oh, it's Henry. Hi, Henry. We've got a cat and a boy come up the stairs um yeah we were really pleased about that well done that's yeah brilliant. thank you thanks that's exciting uh should we yeah should we get on our way let's go have a great week everyone yep that's two weeks isn't yeah. it have, have a great two weeks have a great week and then another one yeah no i think that second week should be a bit worse yeah just and then when we come waiting. back it'll be good again right see you everybody Bye-bye. bye the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details.